You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 57. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing something unusual. We're discussing adventures in space and time. And if you're wondering which Doctor Who episode is that, it's not. We'll tell you more in a minute. But first, uh, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Don. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So let's start with the sound of the trailer, the, uh, and then we'll explain what it is you're listening to if you don't if you don't know already. We want to do a science fiction series. C.S. Lewis meets H.G. Wells meets Father Christmas. That's the Doctor. Doctor Who. Hmm? Action. I've really got something here. It was not very bad. No one's irreplaceable, eh? Can't have Doctor Who without Doctor Who. Travel back to the birth of a phenomenon, an adventure in space and time on BBC Two and BBC Two HD. So as you may have guessed from that, uh, the Adventures in Space and Time, or An Adventure in Space and Time, I should say it correctly, was a BBC sort of docudrama uh, that documented the, for the 50th anniversary back in 2013, that documented the beginnings of the uh, the show Doctor Who back in uh, 1963 and and kind of followed the time of the first Doctor William Hartnell from the from the beginning to the end um, and so uh, just to kind of give you the synopsis which is kind of it's like I'm giving you a synopsis of uh, of of a, a Doctor Who synopsis yes of the history basically of yeah. Doctor Who uh, so we have a producer Verity Lambert a, a young female producer which was quite unusual for the time Pro- the first uh, TV producer, uh, female TV producer in BBC history. Um, she's a new executive, and she's uh, given the uh, assignment to create this new show for kids called Doctor Who. Uh, and then she's given this young director of Indian descent, who is also a, a, a you know never been done, uh, and an older actor who's you know struggling to 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 you know in the in the uh, twilight of his career apparently. Um, Start this brand new television program called Doctor Who, and it documents the difficulties of, that they had in the beginning, and then how it becomes a hit, and then the struggle they have when the first Doctor uh, William Hartnell, the actor, started to have health problems, and they started to wonder, you know, how do we go from here? And right into the the concept of regeneration, and this fits in with what we've been doing in the in this uh, period between the last episode of the this season, uh, this last season of Doctor Who, and the Christmas special, which is coming up next week, is you know this this idea of regeneration. We've been looking at all the regenerations. We've caught up to to the the current one that is that is going to take place during the Christmas special, and so now we uh, we, we we look at the beginnings of the concept itself. So uh, we, we also we also have another major connection between an adventure in space and time and the twice upon a time Christmas special in that they're bringing back uh, the character of the first doctor to team up with Peter Capaldi's 12th doctor and the actor 
who is going to be playing the first Doctor is David Bradley, a well-known face in British television. And he's also the actor who plays William Hartnell in the first Doctor's uh, actor in An Adventure in Space and Time. So if you've seen An Adventure in Space and Time, you'll you'll already have a taste of David Bradley's take on William Hartnell and the first Doctor. And if you haven't seen it, it's a good thing to uh, watch to get ready for the uh, Christmas special. Right, which is why we're doing this. We, we thought this would be a good way to move into the Christmas special to talk about this special, right. which talked about the establishment of Doctor Who. <laughs> and it's kind of funny because we're talking about, so D- David Bradley uh, is playing William Hartnell, who played the first Doctor, and now will play the first Doctor uh, as William Hartnell, who is David Bradley. It's very confusing. It's very timey-wimey. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, there's a lot of wibbly-wobbly going on in there. So it's, <laughs> But it's great to see, and it was great to get this taste of, you know, uh, David Bradley as William Hartnell. So uh, what and, did you by, th- by the way, b- b- before we uh, just before we move on from David Bradley playing the first doctor um, for people who may not be aware, this isn't going to be his last time playing the first doctor because Big Finish has already announced they're doing a series hmm. of new first doctor audio plays starring David Bradley as the first doctor. The first set is going to be out in January. So if you wow. like David Bradley's first doctor, you can get some more. I don't have enough time or money to listen to all the big finish audio that I want to listen to. I mean, it is, I can like sit there all day long and listen to this. I was on their website the other day and I'm like, Oh, I want to, I want to listen to those. And I want to listen to those. So, I mean, I feel like this is an ad for them. We should get them to sponsor the show. Cause, uh, cause there's just so much cool stuff there. I I mean, I was, I was looking at the ones where the, the new monsters like weeping angels, you know, Mm -hmm. with the old doctors, you know, and yeah. so it just it would be it looks it looks cool. I mean, just it's so much fun. No other TV show does this, and I love that about about Doctor Who. Um, so uh, one interesting note is that the writer for this uh, Adventures in Space and Time was Mark Gaddis, who we know very mm-hmm. well. He's written quite often uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Stephen Moffat episodes for uh, yep. the new Doctor Who. Uh, you will, might know him uh, as we've said before as the actor who plays. Uh, Mycroft Holmes in the in the Sherlock uh, BBC series, uh, and uh, she also writes and co-produces. Right, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, he I think he's a great writer. Not all of his Doctor Who episodes have been have been great or even all that good. Some of them yeah. have been have been duds. We've, we've ripped at least one of them apart since <laughs> yes. yeah. we've been doing the rewatches. So, S- someone had pointed out that one of the recurring themes in Mark Gaddis's writing is nostalgia. Yes, in mean, one way mm-hmm. or another, almost everything he does in, involves nostalgia, at least for Doctor Who, and that's certainly true here because the kind of one of the keynotes of an adventure in space and time is that it's nostalgia for the early 60s in the beginning of the program. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I think, you know, I'll throw it out here now, why I think this works it's uh, so well is, I mean, this is all you know, a nostalgic look back at the early 60s. Right. Uh, a very interesting um, uh, uh, time period for TV. I mean, it's sort of uh, Mad Men, if it were BBC <laughs> in those days, and yeah, and, and kid friendly Mad Men. Yeah, yes, yeah, and, exactly. and it's you see some of the the elements in this um, of the sexism of the era, the the casual mm-hmm. racism that there was racism. in place, um, yeah. the, you know, because of the. Uh, the 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 fellow who's the the Indian uh, descent, Morris Hussein. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, yep. I couldn't remember that first name. Um, 
it just it was very interesting to to look at and see it um and to get us kind of a feel for like everybody everybody smoked <laughs> like yeah just like so different from from today's sensibilities so it felt like a completely different you know time and, and place and not only did everybody smoke but everybody smoked in the directing in the tiny windowless directing booth of the show <laughs> doctor who right right and then you know you see the the great old cameras and the sets and mm-hmm. and how things were like and sometimes were like uh you know spitting bailing wire the to to make the sets and um and the and the struggles they went through so so but like first, I want I want to talk about some of the the uh, the actors. Um, Verity Lambert mm-hmm. was played by um, uh, Jessica Rain, who I, I, I she looks so familiar to me. But when I looked at her uh, listing, she does she's done a lot of British television shows, obviously, uh, but none that I that I've been a watcher. So I don't know where I've seen her before. But I think she was great um, as Verity mm-hmm. Lambert. Uh, so uh, you know, very. Uh, strong and uh, un- unyielding in some ways, young woman who really wanted to push the show through. She was very young when she got the Mary show. Lambert. Yeah, mm-hmm. like yeah, like mid twenties. I want to say. Any yeah, idea? and she. We should also we should also mention how she got the job because she. There's another major character we haven't mentioned yet, and that's Sydney Newman. Yes, um, mm-hmm. Sydney Newman was at the time the head of BBC Drama, and he was not British. He was kind of an unusual figure. He was mm-hmm. a Canadian, and he had come over to England and done drama work for BBC, the BBC's rival network, ITV. Mm-hmm. And then he got hired at the BBC, but he's not used to doing things the BBC way. And they even set that up for us the first time we see him when he's coming into BBC headquarters and he refuses to show the uh, the uh, parking attendant or door attendant his ID. Right. Um, when the And the guy says, that's not the BBC way. You have to show your ID. And he says, really? And he doesn't do it anyway. <laughs> so he's kind of this yeah. maverick figure. And by, by the way, I just want to I just want to slide yeah. this in here. Uh, that door attendant, you know who played that? Who he played? Who was the actor for that? Huh? William Russell, also known as Ian Chesterton. Oh. That was Ian Chesterton. I totally missed that. Wow! wow. So Thank I, you I did so much I did for some, pointing that out. I didn't. I, know I've got that. some more. We'll, we'll talk about later. I did some snooping around on IMDb, and there's quite, there's some ties into the actual Doctor Who with this. So I just wanted to slide yeah. this in while we're talking about that. But sorry. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so so anyway, he's this kind of maverick figure, and at the time, the BBC was known for this really staid kind of cultural programming. They, in fact, had a reputation for being kind of snobbish, that they didn't want to appeal too much to popular sensibilities. And so the idea of coming up with this science fiction program (laughs) that would appeal to children and stuff was kind of a maverick idea of Sidney Newman's. And then he had worked previously with Verity Lambert, and so that's how she got the job. Right. Mm-hmm. And and of course, there was the usual insinuations uh, and then and just the, the people Mad who just like insinuations. Yes. Yes. And then and that uh, uh, people ignored her. She had difficulty, you know, getting people to to work on her show for her, you know, to do the things that they're supposed to do. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love that scene where the for her first day in the job and she walks into the her her office and there's two fellows standing in there. Uh, talking about the show and kind of ignoring her, like like they were casting the the doctor, and they're going back yep. and forth, and she's trying to you know 
interject in the conversation since she's their boss and they just ig- mm-hmm. ignore her and just override her right. all together uh it was uh one, <laughs> one more than the other the yeah, yeah the other one of them though kind of realizes who she is and then kind of takes her under his wing and helps her find a balance yep. uh, mm-hmm. between you know how to get things done it you you do need more than just the respect my authority line right you need to work <laughs> with people and he helps her find that balance and he's kind of a right. kindly figure yeah the other guy leaves whether under under his own uh motivation or under hers but the figure the guy right. you're talking about uh, Mervyn Pinfield who is someone mm-hmm. who uh, w- continues to work on the show for several years, uh, and, and apparently invented the teleprompter. Invented the, uh, yes. and, which he named the pinaprompter, because <laughs> why not? It's <laughs> you invented, put not? your name <laughs> on it. Uh, yeah. So, and then and that actually uh, plays a part in one of the uh, in that scene where he's mentoring her. She sees a teleprompter in the uh, you know in the news and uh, the you know the news studio, and. You know, is marveling at it, and as he's walking, he kind of throws off like, "Well, yeah, I, I should know something about it. I invented it. I, sh- I, sh- I probably should have got a yeah. patent on it." <laughs> and then walks out through yeah, a typical British understatement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yes, and uh, you know, speaking of people playing the roles, uh, Brian Cox as Sidney Newman is. I, I just, I think he's great. I mean, as much as his accent comes and goes, like. Mm-hmm. like for a while there, I wasn't I wasn't sure whether he was really supposed to be Canadian or British. So uh, so his accent uh, is kind of iffy. Frankly, but but in the, the role, parts, he's I really thought he good. almost frankly I almost thought he would sound like somebody from New York or something like that at some points. He really yeah. did not have the Canadian accent that I'm familiar with, anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know if if everyone in England clearly distinguishes between American and Canadian accents. Right. Which is not uncommon. I mean, you know, our ears in America don't always distinguish well between different British accents because right. we don't hear them every day. Yes. Well, and, and to be fair, where where I live, there's a lot of people that do have the, yeah, sure, you betcha, a, you know, that Canadians are kind of stereotypical for. So And Minnesotans. <laughs> Minnesotans, sure, don't yeah. you know. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> the uh, one, by the way, speaking of of the Sidney Newman vocal mannerisms, um, there's one kind of vocal quirk, part of his idiolect that they give him, where he likes to say, "pop, pop, pop." Yeah, and mm-hmm. and when when they set this up for us, it's like it's a way of underscoring his enthusiasm. Like, I want this Doctor Who show to be really great and have these cool ideas, pop, pop, pop. And then later, that line is going to come back to us at a key moment. And but it's worth mentioning because I they the way they set it up and then when they bring it back towards the end of the mm-hmm. episode, it's really cool. Yeah. So he when he's pitching this to Verity, like this idea he, he comes up with, he, he tells her it's a children's science fiction show, but not Tin Men and Bug Eyed Monsters, which is <laughs> no robots. Uh and he was like, you know, and he phrased it. I want a, a good, a good-looking man, a good-looking woman, a kid who gets into scrapes, and a quirky older guy. And and it's very mm-hmm. interesting how he puts that. Like the doctor was sort of an afterthought at that initial conceptual stage, mm-hmm. uh, but he he knew from the beginning that they'll travel through space and time. They'll do proper history too, because the kids should learn something. Uh, and but he does say the grumpy old guy will be the hero, uh, and and he kind of throws it out there. And that's sort of the. The, the 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 core of what of that first season of Doctor Who is is this this idea of it's a kid's show it's going to be about a half hour it's going to be every week and that plays actually into yeah. into this um, and then they go out and they they cast 
William Hartnell, who at the time was known for playing like gruff uh, sergeant majors. Yeah. Soldiers and and that sort of thing. And uh, not especially cuddly and and friendly to little kids in in one sense. Uh, And and that that plays a role here because he's they the way they portray it. William Hartnell is typecast. And he can only get that kind of role and he's trying to break out of it. And so he's initially concerned when they approach him about Doctor Who and explain him as this gruff old man. But the thing that finally hooks him is when they explain they want him to play this gruff old man, but with a twist or with a twinkle. Yes. Um, So that there's a little added dimension to the character that he hasn't been able to play in previous roles. And that's what initially intrigues him about the role. Right. And uh, what I found very interesting is William Hartnell, when he started, he was actually only in his early to mid 50s. Correct. Yeah, he was like 50, 54 or 56, similar, something very, like that. Very similar and, age to uh, Peter Capaldi when he took over. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very young. Very similar age. Yeah. And, and they, they, now, of course, at the time, you know, that 56 was considered, mid 50s was considered over the hill, you know, in a way it's not today. It is not um, over the hill. Let me yeah. just put that right <laughs> yeah. up there. It is. Yeah. 54 is, is young. <laughs> well, you know, um, to be fair, but, though, in, in the show, they did mention that, too. Of yeah. You know, he's actually younger than he looks. He looked right. older than he was. Right. And although they didn't know it yet, he was suffering from arterial sclerosis and that was having an impact on his health. He also drank and smoked heavily like a lot of people in the day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all of that took a toll. He was also uh, I I assume I haven't looked it up, but I assume he was a World War Two veteran and had, you know, he'd had a he'd had a rough life in a lot of ways. Mm hmm. So uh, I'm just looking up how old David Bradley was when this was filming, but he would have been, um, let's see, he would have been about 70 when they were filming this. Yeah. So, uh, which kind of covers that that t- time period that he was on the show somewhat. Uh, they they wanted him to look older like David uh, William Hartnell looked older, let's put it that way. Yeah. And and today you often need to find someone who is older in order to portray that older part. Yes. Because people seem a little better preserved today. They have to care a little more for their health and we have easier lives. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want to kind of mention the, the, the kind of the craziness that they had to go through in the beginning. First, they were they were assigned this um, this apparently this terrible soundstage uh, in which the, uh, 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 Hussein describes it as a as a broom closet. <laughs> Where yeah. where the fire sprinklers would go off at the drop of a hat because it gets so hot in there, and then the sprinklers would go off, which actually they show happen at one point, uh, yeah, it, you know, on the set, um, and and it shows them. It's a lot of fun. It shows them filming uh, the that first those first episodes of mm-hmm. uh, the uh, you know the the caveman episode, the caveman and, and an unearthly child, unearthly child, right? Yep. I was trying to remember the unearthly child, uh, and and and. They film. They film them. It's um, it, it, the they, they. It was interesting. The actors they got to to play Ian and Barbara and Susan. And Susan. Uh, it was pretty good. The the Susan actress seemed a little old to me. They could have got someone a little younger, mm-hmm. but uh, but the Ian and Barbara they 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 worked out pretty well. Uh, I kind of like that dynamic that they had. Um, they. They had some trouble early on. In addition to the uh, the the fire extinguisher going off. Uh, Sydney 
did not like the first the first cut of the first episode. In fact, he was mm-hmm. he was on the verge of canceling the show outright. Um, and and it's true that he I don't know how close he came to canceling it, but it's true that they the first episode first take of the first episode was not broadcast and they did redo it. If you get a modern uh, DVD of an unearthly child, it will have the uh, unaired pilot version mm-hmm. on it. And there are some interesting little differences um, between that and the aired version. One of the things that's different is at one point, Susan, because they ex- established that the doctor and Susan are from another world and another time. And in the unaired pilot, Susan says that she was born in the 47th century. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the details they cut because apparently Sidney Newman thought that was too specific. And it's interesting. There's some other documentaries, and they don't go into all this in an adventure in space and time, but there's some other documentaries that you can get on the DVDs that will uh, go into the background of the show's conceptual development and some of the ideas other people had about who the doctor was and what he was running from. And there was even an idea for a while that the doctor was going to deliberately meddle in time to try to stop progress, that he was trying to create Mm. a kind of rustic utopia and avoid the future he came from. Hmm. And uh, Sidney Newman put the kibosh on that and said, I don't want the doctor doing that. Um, He needs to be more of a traveler and not someone who has this kind of agenda for shaping the course of history. That would, yeah, it would kind of make him almost sort of like a villain, especially in an era which was very forward looking, very like the future is bright and wonderful. Mm -hmm. That would have been, uh, that, yeah, that wouldn't have gone over well, I think. Um, also, another interesting scene that in that beginning where she's uh, Verity's trying to get the set director to design her sets, and uh, and finally oh, yeah. she gets him to 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 come up with the, the 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 control room set, and he just kind of punches holes out of this piece of paper and stacks a bunch of things and says, "Okay, there you go." <laughs> <laughs> and he's yeah. and it, he had it, yeah. The roundels, the 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 control mm-hmm. console, um, you know, everything was there. Uh, used a thimble, used a spool of thread for the TARDIS console, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, and exactly. it, it just strikes me just how things used to work. You know, they they would literally build tiny little models for everything. You mm-hmm. know, there was no computers. There's no. And I, I kind of like seeing that, like that that way of doing things and how how different it had to be to to get things uh, going. Um, Pre CAD cam, yes, yeah, exactly. Very much. Um, you know, actually, speaking of the reshoot, one of the complaints came from William Hartnell himself, who said that uh, you know you told me there was going to be all this, you know, the twinkle, and all all we have is gruff, and then my character is, yeah. doesn't have any of that magic, and you know, and in fact, they showed some of the scenes. He's much more um, aggressive, and 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 uh, and and it's funny because. David Bradley's portrayal of William Hartnell comes across as, well, he is gruff and he is kind of, you know, uh, pushy, you know, a a little bit. At least at the beginning. At At the the beginning. beginning of the show he was. One of the other actors, one of the other characters in the show comments uh, about Bill Hartnell is, you know, once they once he gets to the set and starts interacting with people, says he's tetchy as heck. And apparently that was true, that William Hartnell really did have this kind of irritable character uh, just personally, and and that is one of the things that made him so good in the drill sergeant roles. 
but it 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 it's not the kind of thing that would be endearing about the doctor and even in the aired version of an unearthly child the dominant note is still this guy is a crazy psychopath and kidnaps mm-hmm. Ian and Barbara and he really doesn't flower into a likable character until later. Yeah, we, and I remember in our discussion of an unearthly child, we, we we touched on that, how how very different the doctor is initially, how very, uh, you know, uh, grumpy and aggressive he comes off and dismissive and, you know, and, and all that. Uh, I mean, he, the doctor has a tendency to, you know, over time has tended to be arrogant and sort of, you know, high, you know, high handed, but, but this was um, to a much greater degree from in the beginning anyway. Uh, yeah. I have to say that my favorite parts of this docudrama were the, were the beginning where, where Verity Lambert was part of the, the, you know, the, the show, um, you know, it was successful. Things went off the ground. They were very excited, and she really had to shepherd the the Dodge show to hold, you know, kind of hold William Hartnell's hand a bit uh, to get to get through things and to get him comfortable. Um, but then when she leaves, she eventually goes, takes over, you know, to moves on to new shows and that sort of thing. Um, and then it becomes much more focused on William Hartnell himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That wasn't as great for me as you know, just watching it. Um, it kind of uh, kind of slowed down a lot. I, I mean, it's kind of it's, it's not like an action-packed adventure, but um, I just preferred the beginning parts with Verity and and mm-hmm. War, Warus and and just seeing it get there's, started. There's certainly you know very dynamic, uh, likable characters, and they and they get into some tense situations. Like there's one scene. Uh, we kind of touched on the theme, so we didn't mention the scene where they're in this bar at the BB, at BBC mm-hmm. headquarters, and Warris Hussein is up at the bar. He's trying to order a drink, and because he's Indian, the bartender just totally ignores him. And Verity, as a woman, comes up and tries to order, and the bartender starts to ignore her too, and she will not allow him to ignore her. She is demanding that she that the bartender get her a drink and Warris Hussein a drink and they then get their drinks and they go off in a table together and talk and I think she refers to herself as you know the Jewish bird and there's they Warris Hussein uses a, a I forget exactly what it is but a racially derogatory term for himself uh, you know expressing the way other people in England at the time could look at him and he thanks Ver- Verity for getting him the drink but this shows the force of her personality and um, and that's an, an interesting, attractive, dramatic thing. Right. Also, though, we see her growth as a producer because Sidney Newman um, has at one point in, in has to handhold William Hartnell when Verity is failing at that. And and Sydney is just walking by and realizes the problem situation and starts talking to William Hartnell about, oh, what was that great war picture you did? And he Sydney, really, we, the audience understands, has no idea. Warris has mm-hmm. to come up and, and supply the name of a film um, because Sydney is just buttering up William Hartnell. He really doesn't know the details of his CV. And uh, but nevertheless, he's able to accomplish what needs to happen to reassure William Hartnell. And then he Sidney privately turns to Verity and says, find a way to make this work. This is your job. And so we Mm -hmm. see a kind of early stumble on Verity's part that she then learns from watching Sidney Mm -hmm. and how he was able to stage manage William Hartnell's uh, anxiety. 
So uh, one of the things that we see from the beginning is uh, uh, is then they they launch the show. They have their first episode, um, and then it airs as we've discussed previously, uh, the night of the assassination of John F. Kennedy, which you know nobody is watching anything right. but the news. And nobody's watching some kid's show, you know, called Doctor Who. Well, you know, technically, this actually was the next day in Great Britain that it's aired. But of course, with time changes and everything, it was I think it was still night here or it was like the very, very early, early morning here. So, of course, people were still trying to figure out what happened. They were still trying to look for news. You know, it's kind of funny that that hasn't changed. Something big happens. We immediately go to the news channels and try to figure out what's going on. And we want information now, 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 now. Right. I mean, that's one of the complaints we have with our 24-hour news cycle is they don't know anything, but they're more than happy to tell you what they don't know. Um, <laughs> I they, like the way they they set up the assassination here on in an adventure in space and time because they show us the muzzle of a rifle and we hear the cock of the rifle and then the fire. And it's like Doctor Who is right. having its existence threatened at the same time. And um, and obviously that could have could have killed the show right out of the gate. And mm -hmm. so Verity, uh, to give for the second episode, insists on a re-air of the first episode. So everybody gets the introduction to the show before uh, they see the second episode. It's almost unprecedented. In fact, Sydney was calling her in to cancel the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, on her and she, she turned that around on them. And not only did she insist on them continuing the show, but ins insisting on re-airing the first episode. Uh, and, yep. you know, I mean, it was by, by sheer force of will and gumption that she got, that yeah. she, uh, she got it re-aired. Uh, go ahead. And then, then there's a new threat to the show, which is the boringness of the caveman episodes that immediately yes. followed it, which they, they don't really dwell on that, but they do comment about like, the caveman script is the only one we have that we can go with, and they're acknowledging it's not very good. Um, and that could have killed the show, too. What saved the show was the next story arc, the Daleks. Mm -hmm. And yep. ironically, that's exactly what Sidney Newman did not want on the show. Tin Men. It was like the, so, the epitome of what he didn't want. They were Tin Men bug-eyed monsters. Yes. They were both. And so so Verity has to make this pitch to him and say, look, no, this is good drama. They were people like us, but they've had this atomic war and they've mutated. And it's a cautionary tale about where we could go. Mm -hmm. And obviously this was in the middle of the Cold War in the 60s. So um, it was a very timely thing, and she's able to pull that off. And from a practical point of view, that was the salvation of this show because mm -hmm. the Daleks became a huge phenomenon in British culture, and yep. uh, and and that's what ensured the show's lasting survival. I liked when they started to show like how how the show had like really became part of the culture, and you know there mm -hmm. were books, and kids would come up to William Hartnell as the doctor and and interact with them and, and it just showed how childlike he became in in one mm -hmm. sense where you know uh, interacting with the kids in the park at one point and, I, I love that mm -hmm. I love that scene with the class where he's running run run you know? <laughs> yes yeah because yeah. that's what Doctor Who is run <laughs> yeah and, and and that's what really allows William Hartnell's character to blossom for the audience because up to this point he's been very standoffish he's been very irritable but then when he sees the effect that doctor who has on children 
that warms him up and it touches his heart and that enables the audience to begin to sympathize with William Hartnell in a big way. Because from this point, and this is kind of where we're transitioning from Verity being the lead character to William Hartnell being the lead character, mm-hmm. um, he, it, we're now more invested in William Hartnell emotionally because he's now that he's bonded with the part and he's bonded with the children, now he starts to feel the weight of the show because mm-hmm. he's Doctor Who now. He's the he has to carry the show. He's working 40, 50 weeks a year on this program, which is a huge amount of television work. And he is uh, not in good health, but he's he wants to please the children. He wants the show to be there for them. He wants the show to continue for all of his co-workers who would otherwise be out of a job mm-hmm. if he couldn't do this. And so he's desperately starts trying to find solutions to cope with his health problems um, to enable the show to continue both for his co-workers and for the children in the audience. And we feel sympathy for him because now he's carrying all of that weight now that he's taken ownership of the part. Right. Because from his point of view, like without the doctor, there is no show from his point. Like, so he's thinking, if I can't continue, the show gets canceled. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, there's no thought of someone else takes over the role or just that's the way shows work. You you know, if the if the lead character couldn't do it, boom, you're gone. Uh, You know, the the show is gone. Uh, and so he, he carries on so much longer than I think maybe he even would have otherwise if regeneration had been part of the package from the beginning, uh, perhaps he might have been much more open to that idea. I mean, he struggles uh, at times with his memory, um, forgetting who like who his companions are. Um, he gets he, he, he flubs lines left and right. Um it, you know, and it becomes it. Watching it, you just feel so much pathos for, for this poor man who is just mm-hmm. carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. Um, and then, you know, there's a scene where he just we get we we kind of get the same sort of scene that we got with with the tenth Doctor, uh, you know, David Tennant. The that scene where he says, "I don't want to go." And yeah, and I found it so mo- so much more moving even than in when David Tennant mm-hmm. says it because absolutely because well a David Bradley is a great actor but but b it just <laughs> um, I mean not to say David Tennant is but but you know part of it is David Bradley part mm-hmm. of it is as an older man I mean it just it's he's sort of a grandfather fatherly figure um, there's there's and it's it was a real person it's not just a character mm-hmm. and and you see mm-hmm. that. Um, I, I, and, I love and, that scene. And for the uh, and for the and it really showed the growth of William Hart William Hartnell into this character where at the beginning you could you know when they're sitting at that that restaurant and they're pitching it to him and you could just see the look on his face like why are you even bothering me with this? <laughs> right. You know, but then he he's warms up to it and you know and as it goes on and by the end of it he truly loved the series. He did not want to leave the series. He wanted to keep doing it. He wanted to keep bringing that joy to the children. He wanted to just keep going, even though he I think he knew he couldn't. Yeah. Now, that scene that you mentioned, uh, Dom, where he has the I don't want to go line is it occurs after he's gotten the news. Right that he's going to be leaving the series. And the original idea for regeneration occurs in another scene where Sidney Newman is talking to one of the fellow executives 
and they're talking about Hartnell's health problems and how the show is deteriorating and they're looking for a solution. And up to now, everybody's been operating under the assumption that William Hartnell as Doctor Who is the irreplaceable man. And mm-hmm. suddenly Sidney questions that in his mind. And here's where we get the callback. And under his breath, he says, pop, pop, pop. And it's like the idea has just exploded in his head. This is science fiction. We could replace yep. the main actor and continue the show. And he conceives the idea of regeneration on the spot. And then they end up selecting uh, Patrick Troughton to be the second doctor. And then he has to break the news to David Bradley. And he's talking to David Bradley about it. And David Bradley has come into this meeting uh, as William Hartnell thinking, you know, he's got a solution to the problem of maybe because the scripts are too taxing and I can't remember all this dialogue, maybe they can be written in just kind of outline form and I can ad lib and mm-hmm. just gesture and use my eyes for things. <laughs> and and he's kind of getting a little bit demanding in terms of I'm the star and here's how things need to be. And Sidney realizes it's not going the way that it needs to. And he finally says, look, there's no way to say this nicely, we want Doctor Who to continue as you do, but we don't want it to continue with you. And it's a really a brutal moment. Um, and then uh, uh, he, uh, he he tries to let David Bradley save some face and uh, shares with him about Patrick Troughton is the one we're looking at. And, and David Bradley then, or William Hartnell, then tells Patrick Troughton, you know, I said you were the only man who could replace me. And that's mm-hmm. kind of a face-saving thing. And in between that, we have the scene where he's still at home with his wife and he has the kind of breakdown and the I don't want to go moment. And because it's this very private, very human thing where he's showing his weakness in front of his wife and he's this old man who's been broken and has he feels like a failure at this point. But this is what he's mm-hmm. had going and he doesn't want to let it go. And it is so heartbreaking in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's a really human moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we, one of the things that I loved about their portrayal of, of William Hartnell is that he was such a stickler for detail. Like 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 so many fans today, like they want yeah. that switch opens the door and don't use that switch yes. for anything else. And even to the point where he tells the new director once Juarez Hussein leaves, you know, the new director wants him, okay, now go around to the other side of the console and open the door. And he's like, I can't. And it's like, well, yeah. is there a problem? Is it that that switch doesn't open the door? This switch opens the door, and, and it's yeah, like the yeah. guy doesn't get it, but he's like, you know, and he kind of yells at him, and he he gets into like he has taken a proprietary sense about Doctor Who, right? He has he, one of the things. Go ahead. One of the things I like with his relationship with the with the TARDIS console is he's come not only has he figured out what the controls do and ensured consistency on that point because he said the kids will notice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's right. They would. Yep. Um, but he's also be- figured it out in a way even the crew hasn't because yep. there's a moment where like because of changes in who the crew are, they don't know how all the controls on this thing work. And finally, um, they need the TARDIS rotor console to be going up and down or the TARDIS rotor to be going up and down to signal that the ship is in flight. And none of the crew know how to do that. And so finally, William Hartnell just says, oh, come on. And he goes down there underneath himself yep. to turn on the real physical controls that operate the prop. 
And so that's yep. how intimate he's become with this prop. Right. He calls him on. He's like, you know, the uh, OK, now stand at the console. He's like, uh, I'm, he doesn't do anything. He's like, I'm waiting for the the, the rotor to go because the, the the TARDIS is in flight. And the guy's mm-hmm. like, you know, so and he's like, the, the rotor has to be going up and down before in flight. Like he's was very yeah. concerned with with that, you, you know, and, and that's. That's an issue from an outsider's perspective. It's interesting to understand that, you know, the, a show, especially one that says long lived as Doctor Who, the, the, mm-hmm. its consistency depends on those who, who run it wanting to, you know, to keep that quality up from producer to producer, director to director and actor to actor. Um, and that that makes that makes Doctor Who this this legacy that gets handed on from one generation to the next. You know, my, some, go ahead, Father. I was gonna say, you know, my thought was when I saw that the first time was Galaxy Quest with the the kid who comes yeah. up to Tim Laredo. Tim Allen's character, yeah. and and just you know starts rallying off all these. It's you know it's a show, it's not real, but that that consistency of this happens, this happens, this happens. You hit this switch, it does this thing. You hit this button, it does that. You know, the the um, the problem of having. Uh, directors in particular not understanding the need for continuity is actually a perennial one in television production because the way TV shows are produced, you have, um, you know, the actors who are the main cast who are there every week. And then you have directors come in and they'll do an episode here and an episode there, mm-hmm. but they're not there every week. And so th- frequently the actors understand their characters and the mechanics of the show better than the director. And there's a regular tension that happens. That's something that happened later on in Doctor Who's history. It happened with other series like Next mm-hmm. Generation and stuff. And it's just actually a perennial in the industry because of the way directors come in and out of shows and the cast is constant. It often falls to the Cast to try to ensure continuity for the viewers, right? right. And that and, and that consistency of the what control does what, or, or or you know even how the TARDIS is configured, or what my character would or would not do, right. or things like but, that. But some of that has been sort of loosey goosey over the years. I mean, the fact is, is it's oh, yes. it's you know over the the span of six decades, uh, you know, some things get a little you know. Uh, you know, more or less uh, concerned for making sure they stay the same. I mean, that's been a particular hallmark of Doctor Who, which is yeah. what makes this this early uh, effort by William Hartnell to, for that consistency to be to be so uh, you know interesting and important. Um, and and I, I wouldn't mind seeing some of that concern <laughs> come back in, <laughs> uh, under uh, Chibnall now in the future. I'd like to see some of that consistency. Any inconsistencies are due to the effects of the time war. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> Wibbly wobbly timely wimey. <laughs> so uh, we we come to we've come to Patrick Troughton coming in, and I have to say, wasn't a huge fan of this the actor playing Patrick Troughton in this. It was doesn't really look like him. Yeah, and just I think he's overplaying Patrick Troughton a little bit, uh, trying to be him a little more than he needed to be, or something. It was it didn't. It, I don't know. It was weird, but. He was also trying to play him much younger. Yeah. Because really, Patrick Troughton was not, he was younger than William Hartnell and looked younger, but he was in his mid 40s and looked older. Yeah. Um, He looked like he was in his mid to late 50s, at least, um, and played it older. And this guy they've brought in to be Patrick Troughton is trying to be the young, bubbly understudy who's now taking over the big part. And it doesn't really feel like Patrick Troughton. Right. I mean, I get get that they, they, 
they cast David Bradley, who's older than the actual first doctor. And then they cast this other guy who's younger than the actual second doctor. And to, to emphasize, I think maybe the age difference, but uh, yeah, you're right. It it does, it does, it doesn't really work very well, but uh, we, he does this last scene, you know, the William Hartnell does this last scene in the TARDIS. And then we have this really strange moment where he sees Matt Smith standing there. Yeah. I, and I was and this, yeah. some 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 fans really didn't like this. They thought, why do we need Matt Smith intruding on this scene? But mm-hmm. I thought it worked. I mean, it is it is a kind of meta historical thing. It didn't really happen, obviously. But it as as William Hartnell is leaving the part on a dramatic, poetic level, it makes sense mm-hmm. to give him a vision of you've you've now created something that's going to endure. It's still going to be here fifty years from now, right. and that's something that that the real uh, the real William Hartnell would not have known and would not have been mm-hmm. able to sense when he left the part. But it's it provides a satisfying, positive, hopeful ending for the docudrama, right. and, it, and and it does and it does kind of show that. You know, Doctor Who, despite its changes, despite the, you know, the time it was gone during, you know, everything that's happened with the series, it's still the same series. There's still the same ideals underneath it. There's still the same um, principles behind it. Again, things have changed, but it's still the same. And there's that connection over 50 plus years now. Right. It it, 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 I. I was taken aback. I didn't. I don't. I don't want to say I didn't like it, but I was. It did seem strange, only because we had he adhered so much up to this point to the idea of it of a historical docudrama, and then to enter mm-hmm. into and then to insert this sort of supernatural yeah. moment. Uh, well, I, I think the I think the reason it's there is simply to give us a positive ending. Yes. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. it would. I mean, how do you build a completely positive ending out of out of Patrick Troughton taking over the part? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, well, um, it, it, but that yeah, William Hartnell dies not long bit, after either. I mean, not not many years later, uh, right. right? Yeah. And, well, Less than ten years, was, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, he did survive for most of a decade, at least, though. But but by adding this meta historical moment, it gives us a sense of, of cementing this in the heritage of the show, and this will go on. Right. And William Hartnell can be proud of his participation in this as the founding Doctor, and and also cements it as part of this thirtieth. Uh, I'm sorry. 50th anniversary 50th. moment that the BBC was having between this and the, uh, the, right. the and day as, of the doctor. As I recall, didn't, didn't they air this right before the 50th anniversary episode day of the doctor? Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. So it was all part of this one, one thing. So, I mean, so it, uh, overall, I mean, I, it was good. I liked it. I got, you know, I was not as familiar with the history of uh, Dr. Who. And uh, although um, up to uh, watching this, between between the end of the, the the most recent season and now, I've got a, a very quick course in the pre New Who <laughs> as we as we've watched a lot of these uh, shows and I've learned from from the masters. I sat at their feet and learned uh, from them, but uh, it was good to to have this. So, do you, do you prefer uh, Roger Delgado's master or Anthony Ainley's master yeah. or I prefer uh, Michelle Missy. Gomez's master? Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, one of the things I liked was this was was someone said, and it's that's it, actually in the trailer that we played at the top of the show. Um, C.S. Lewis meets H.G. Wells meets Father Christmas, and I kind of like yeah. that. Um, you know, especially mm-hmm. for for 
you know, many people who might be listening to the show, uh, our show, Secrets of Doctor Who, um, you might listen because it's part of the Starkmas production network, which is, you know, where, um, we, we, where our mission is where the Catholic faith meets popular culture. And so we always look at things, um, through the lens of our own faith. And C.S. Lewis is, was most famous as a, uh, as a, a Christian philosopher who wrote these series of novels, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe novels. Um, and I like that idea. I mean, if it, that this sort of the whimsy of, of going into uh, another world and, and this Aslan character in the, in this other world of Narnia, um, at one point is described as he's not, he's not a tame lion. And you can mm-hmm. say that about the doctor in many ways. The doctor is not a tame <laughs> doctor. He's not just a regular old uh, scientist or, or what have you. Uh, he's, he's oh. truly alien. And I like that about, about the doctor, that, that alienness with a hint of familiarity and connection. With a twist. With a twist. <laughs> so, <laughs> the also the TARDIS has been frequently compared to the wardrobe in the Lion, the Witch, and the mm-hmm. Wardrobe because it's a, a magic box that is bigger on the inside and proves to be the doorway to other worlds. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's many elements uh, where you 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 might say that um, that uh, maybe Sidney Newman found some uh, inspiration in the Chronicles of Narnia for the for doctor who um incidentally uh, we spoke about the uh, the assassination of um john f kennedy occurring right at the uh uh premiere of premiere. doctor who mm-hmm. uh the same day was uh, actually was the day that c.s lewis died so um and and aldous huxley, and aldous huxley in which uh, the author right. peter Crave famously writes a book about the three of them arriving in heaven uh, at the same time or ar- arriving in the afterlife at the same time i don't you know, so uh, to, to, to jump ahead on that, but, uh, but don't spoil it. Don't spoil the ending. <laughs> uh, spoiler, sweetie. Uh, so, exactly. uh, so, so that's my take on it. I really, I really enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed sort of dipping into this history and I really like William Hartnell as, I mean, uh, David Bradley as William Hartnell in this and, uh, uh, s- certainly much better than his uh, character in, uh, the game, game of Thrones, frankly. And I know that uh, you guys may not have watched it, but, uh, he was really not a nice nope. guy in that. Uh, I really liked him in this, uh, uh, playing this role. It was really nice. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it, too. Um, this is the kind of thing, you know, they say always leave the audience wanting more. And I loved this and I would love it if they had some way of producing more of these things, because I thought this mm-hmm. was thoroughly enjoyable. Yes, I agree. Father Corey? I agree completely. Oh, yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, it was it was it was fun to watch. Um, it was very interesting. It was interesting. And, and of course, you know, the history, it confirmed a lot of things that were kind of known in fandom anyways and probably because they had come from interviews and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but very interesting. Uh, one thing I wanted to do uh, real quick, you know, I kind of teased it earlier, but, you know, I kind of went through the IMDb listing for this show. Yeah. yeah. Th- there are some uh, quite a few connections with both old who, classic who, and new who. I'm not going to go through every one, but there's three, three actors that had played um, characters in one serial, uh, two from classic who, one from new who, including... Uh, Jeff Rawl, who played Mervyn Pinfield, the, the inventor of the teleprompter, he was mm-hmm. in Classic Who, at, for, uh, at the episode Frontios from with uh, Peter Peter uh, David Peter Davidson. Peter Davison. Um, two original companions. I mentioned uh, William Russell, Ian Chesterton. He was the the uh, security guard. Now I missed where she was in, 
but Carol Ann Ford, Susan, was in oh, this right. as well. She was uh, Joyce was the name of the act or the character. I missed her though. I, I missed where she was at. And then here's one also that has a Star Wars connection. Jamie Glover, who played William Russell, is the son of Julian Glover, who was in uh, City of Death. Uh, that was Fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, and The Crusade back at William Hartnell era as Richard Lionheart. But Julian, Julian Glover was also the uh, general in the ADAT in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, uh, general Veers. Yep. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, nice interesting. Jamie nice Glover is his son. Yeah. So I see the anyway, resemblance. So and then, then there's one one major connection that we should have we all should have recognized from New Who. The voice of the Daleks sound rather familiar, didn't they? Yes. Didn't it? Yeah. yeah. Nicholas, Nicholas Briggs. Nicholas Briggs. Yeah. But he so, he also played Peter Hawkins, right? Who was the guy that was, that was standing there with the microphone right. doing the yeah. voice of the Daleks. So he was the original voice of the Daleks, to put it that way. And so they had... He played the original voice of the Daleks. Yeah, yes. and then they had the the guy who does the Daleks in New Who doing the original voice of the Daleks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. So, That's good. It was just kind of interesting, these connections. I was, I, you know, I, I was looking at IMDb and of course, William Russell jumped off the, the screen at me immediately. So that, that got me digging further and it was kind of interesting to see the connections between this. And I'm sure obviously inviting William Russell and Carol, Carol Ann Ford was a conscious choice oh, yeah. by Mark Gaddis yeah. and Stephen Moffat. I mean, I'm sure they, they, they sat down and said, these two are still alive. We have got to get them in here. And and undoubtedly William Hartnell and uh, uh, the woman who played Jacqueline, uh, ja- yeah. Um, she, unfortunately, she's passed away also, as has William Hartnell, so they couldn't be in yep, it. But right. otherwise, I'm sure they would be here too. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Great. So um, so a few programming notes, folks. Um, yeah. First, if you want to watch an adventure in space and time, uh, you can you can actually get it on iTunes. And I'm sure, and maybe other places where you can Google buy. Play. What's that? I got it off Google, Google Play, Play as well. Yeah, so other places it, where you it, can purchase it, episodes of Doctor Who. Also on YouTube and Amazon. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. So it's available yeah. everywhere. Uh, it's Yeah. Yeah, it's for purchase on YouTube, yes. but it is on yep. if, yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, YouTube has that 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 buying area. So, um mm-hmm. so it's available in those places, so if if you want to watch it. Um so coming up next week, we're we're back to a new episode of Doctor Who. Exciting. Uh we're going to have the Christmas special and where we're going to have uh as we said before the 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 12th Doctor is uh Peter Capaldi is going to be uh dealing with his regeneration as he interacts with the first Doctor uh who is played by William Hartnell being played by David Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then at the end of that, presumably at the end of that, who knows? Maybe they'll do something different. Presumably at the end of that, we will see his, uh, the twelfth Doctor's regeneration into the thirteenth Doctor, uh, played Jody by Whittaker. Jodie Whittaker. Uh, so that's coming up next week. We will have we will record that episode uh, ASAP. Uh, presumably on Monday, I think after after Christmas, um, right? This, Christmas is Monday. So so, t- so we were going to do that. What Tuesday? I think it was. I think we 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 had t- talked about doing it. Um, I'm, so we're recording this episode uh, of uh, of Secrets of Doctor Who well in advance. Um, 
just in order to to get some in the in the can and so we'll, you know we're not scrambling around the holidays but uh let me mm-hmm. just double check here while we're while i'm vamping and talking into the microphone to kind of not f- leave dead air while i'm waiting for yeah. this program to vamping launch. is a technical term it's so a little behind the scenes window for people vamping is when you need to keep talking to avoid dead air exactly so i think we i think we yeah. talked about the tuesday after christmas so the 26th okay and then uh we'll need to edit that and get it up as soon as possible but we'll uh, we'll work very hard to get that online um very quickly that's because we know how yep. how you know how much you love to hear the new shows right away afterward um so uh and then after that we intend to return to our rewatch of new who uh we will mm-hmm. pick up where we left off with uh the the ninth doctor's so and then we'll we'll you know we'll we'll do that for a while and maybe we haven't discussed yet but we'll find some other um uh, Classic elements to bring into, yes, yeah, so, some topic that would be fun to address, like uh, top monsters, and, and watch some, you know, or representative Dalek episodes. You've got, you've all given us some great ideas in the past, and we asked for them for what kind of uh, shows you want to watch uh, or hear in between, and then uh, so we'll we'll visit some of those, and then we anticipate we haven't. There's no official word from the BBC yet, but we anticipate that the next season of Doctor Who will be next fall of 2018 which is a long time to wait for new who especially given the the changes that we're going to be seeing uh but we're looking forward to uh to continuing on and we really appreciate uh uh your uh listening to this sharing this show with others uh and uh you know spreading the the news about not only doctor who but the secrets of doctor who uh so we really do appreciate that so I think that's it from us for now. Um, so let us know what you think of a, an adventure in space and time. Uh, let us know by visiting uh, sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, uh, leaving some feedback, or uh, send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, you can even send us some voicemail uh, if you want to record uh, 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 some feedback using the voice memo function of your uh, smartphone and then emailing that to us. You can find links to uh, all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. We'll be back next week, uh, like I said, when we'll be discussing the 2017 Christmas special. Uh, until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. My pleasure, Dom. And Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Glad to be here. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, fortune, good night, smile once more, turn thy wheel. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.